0: We're getting close to the end of this particular uh, series of messages out of the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, I would like to read the section of Scripture. It will be about nine verses that we'll cover today. That's in Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye be able to stand with stand in the day of the evil day and having done all to stand stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth truth and having the breast Plate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. This particular passage is well known as the whole armor of God. And I would like to address that. But I'm going to take a little twist on it. Surprise, surprise. We have a little peek at this church of Ephesus in Revelations 2, 1 through 5. And this passage here starts with the word finally can't take the teacher out of me. This is going to be like a final exam. If you reach under your pews, you can find, no, I'm just teasing, okay? What I'm going to ask you is I'm going to read Ephesians, I'm sorry, Revelations 2, 1 through 5, 1 through 6. It's a passage about this very church years later, decades later, where they fell from God. And as I work through the different articles, the different tools of this armor, I want you in your mind to ask, which one did they leave off? Okay? Now, this is not an exercise in self-righteousness. This is one so when we look at ourselves and do a self-evaluation where we're at, we can go through these seven pieces of armor, and you're thinking, which one have I not put on today? Because notice it says... Put on the whole armor of God. Do you realize if you leave one off, he's going to scan you from head to toe. He's going to realize which one going, you've left off, and that's where he's going to target you. It doesn't do good to go into a football game with just a helmet and nothing else. Right? Well, we need to put on the whole armor of God, all seven pieces. So when I ask that, this is what I'm going to ask. So let me, let me give you this analogy before we get started. <clears throat> Let's pretend a doctor was trying to figure out what was wrong with you or you're a mechanic and you're trying to figure out what's wrong with a car. A lot of times what you do is when, when you're doing your study and your write-up and your diagnosis, you're not exactly working at first on what's wrong. You try to rule out what it's not. Yes? And really a good doctor will do that. He'll say, okay, I'm feeling fatigued and he runs all these tests for nine months, and then nine months later they figure out he got hit bit by a tick and he's got Lyme disease. How long did it take him to figure that out? About nine months, right? So, so we're ruling stuff out. Yes? If you've got a car that's bucking a little bit, you start doing tests and diagnosis and you rule stuff out to figure out what it is. Well, that's what we're going to do, and as we go through this, I want you to try to guess what's wrong with this church? And ultimately going through this exercise, we might have a little insight into our own church. We might have a little insight as you're a father and you're working on children. Maybe that'll be helpful. But this is not so that you can sit in your pew and look at the person next to you in the pew or the person in the front of you or the one behind you. This is for self-evaluation. Okay? So, As we go through this and we go through these articles, I want you to do a study and do that. So the place where we're going to start is, is in Revelations chapter 2, 1 through 6. Okay. Let me read the passage. This is the first verse. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Okay. Uh, Let's go to Revelations. And I'm going to leave off verse 5 for now. I'll come back and get Revelations verse 5. But that's really the cure. That's the remedy. This is what you would be looking at at a local church to figure out what's going on. Okay, we've got seven pieces, and I think it'll be pretty obvious what it's not. But when we start looking, we might come up with three or four of things of what it might be. Now, in f- five little verses, one, two, three, four, and six, I don't think we can do- diagnose a whole church without being there. That's silliness. That's silliness but I think we can get pretty close and name maybe three or four things we need to check first, okay? And that's what this exercise is for us. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. That's Jesus. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou cannot bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for thy name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Okay, in verse 4, it tells you what the problem is they left their first love. And then down at verse 6, it gives you one little more insight. It says, But this thou hast, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Just for your information, that particular group happened to be a little more uh, passive when it came to sexual sin and, and, and idolatry. Okay? That's where their weakness was. And this church was not against that. So as I read this particular passage... I'm thinking, what's going on with this church? And in this case, this particular church, I believe, fell into the fault of legalism. They became legalists. Okay, so when we go through the seven pieces of armor, there are some that are going to be pretty obvious that's not their problem. But there's going to be others that we're going to say... Maybe it's that. Maybe we need to dive into that a little bit more. Now, isn't that each one of us, at different times in our life, some days, maybe it's I'm I'm just looking at my my schedule and I realize I haven't read the Word in three weeks, or 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 maybe you're going through a period of time and you go, I haven't prayed in three weeks, or 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 maybe I've I've been judgmental over everybody that I come across for the last three weeks. I'm not stuck on three weeks. I'm just using that example. Okay? So, so that's what we are. And, and it's, each one of us are different. Each church is different. And we're different at different times in our lives. So that's what this, this is for. Okay? Alright. So let's go in to this particular passage. I'm going to break it up into two sections. I'm going to read 11 through 13, and that's going to talk about our enemy. And then we're going to go 14 through 18, and that's going to be talking about these seven tools, and that's where we'll spend most of our time. Now, I'm going to go back to a football analogy. When two teams come together to play a game, they've usually had a whole week's preparation so, so let's suppose, oh, I don't know, Virginia Tech played a football game yesterday, and they did, right? And all of a sudden, next Saturday, they got another game, and I can pretty much guarantee you that the football coaches of Virginia Tech are already watching films of the next opponent. They start that on Sunday night. And when they come into practice on Monday, they already have a plan. D- can anyone guess what they're looking at? I can pretty much guess what the offensive coaches are looking at. They're looking at the films of the defense of the team they're going to play. They're going to look to see if they're good against the run, against long passes, against short passes, or or, 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 or power offense. They're, they're going to be looking at all that, and they're going to see where other teams had successes and where other teams did not have success. And that's what Satan does to us. He scours us from head to toes, and he's looking for our weaknesses. And that's when we look at these things... Some of us, just by nature, are more prone to weaknesses in one area and are more prone to strengths in another area, okay? So I got to hit it all because every piece of armor is important. You notice that, well, I'll save that for when I get to the pieces, but let's read this passage. Let's read 11 through 13. Put on the whole armor of God. Notice that phrase is used again in verse 13. The whole armor of God you get upon on all seven pieces. And as I read this, I, sometimes I debated whether saying there was eight. Because in Brother James' prayer, he said, help us watch, help us see. You notice at the end of the passage, it tells us to keep watching. So maybe that eighth tool is our eyeballs. Vigilant. That could be there too. I could very easily add an eighth to it, but I didn't today. Put on the whole armor of God that ye be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word stand there means not moved. It means I'm digging in and that devil's not going to push me off my stand. Okay, that's what it means stand. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. <clears throat> you may think it's a certain party, political party. It's not. It's higher than that. The devil we are fighting is higher than that. And not only are we are fighting spiritual wickedness, but you are giving spiritual tools. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand, not be moved, in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. I want to do everything I can. Now, there are some times where you're going to do everything you can, and something bad's still going to happen. God will give you grace in that time, too. But I want to do everything I know to do. Amen? Okay. So let's look at a couple verses to try to flush this out, to try to give it some meat, and then we'll go to the tools. In John 12 and 31, it says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. There's a time when Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's going to judge the world, and at that time, the devil is going to get his due. And I do admit that sometimes right now, he has free course, even though it's partially restrained. He still have his way with us. And this is not make-believe. It's not the boogeyman that you're just trying to scare. The devil is a real entity. And one of his victories is, is when you think he doesn't exist, he's won. But he's real. Second Corinthians 4.4 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He's got many tools in his toolbox. Sometimes he uses discouragement. Sometimes he uses depression. Sometimes he uses ignorance. And sometimes he uses callousness. Okay, we, need to be, we don't need to be ignorant of his devices. And then finally, in Revelations 8, 38 and 39, this is our hope. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, that's what we're talking about, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you may think you're wrestling and you're losing. Guess what? Jesus won. And he is going to help you get it through, and nothing will separate you from that love. You got it? Whenever I go to the rescue mission and I sing this, I go to back to my Detroit roots and I sing ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep him from getting to you. That's the promise we have. Keep that in mind. Okay, a couple more verses. I want to talk about that evil day real quick. In Matthew 7 and verse 25 there's Jesus is talking about a man to a man that one man that built his house on a rock and one man built his house on the sand. The point of that whole parable is it's not if it's when. You will have storms in this life. And the key is is what have you founded your life on? Did you found find your life put your life on rock Jesus Christ or did you put it on sand which is shiftable and moving like our current culture and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew why because I did evil no that's what happens in this broken down earth and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Bad stuff happens to good people. And we will be tried in this life. Loved ones will get sick. You will get sick. Well, I won't get too political. We could go there. We can go to rebellious children. We can go to a bad economy. I mean, there's so many places you can go, right? And then finally, this is just a reminder. First of all, you need to put it on, right? I mean, you've got to put it on. If you don't put it on, it's not going to do you any good. Second thing is, you need to put all of it on, right? And everything you're putting on was something God designed. These seven pieces we're talking about today, each one of them, God designed them. There's nothing casual. There's nothing extra. There's nothing ornamental, nothing unnecessary. It's all critical. You need all seven of these. And the last one is, is these pieces of, these weaponry you're going to put out, they are not carnal. They're not physical things. They're all spiritual. And that's it said there in Second Corinthians 10.4. All right, let's get into these seven pieces of armor. Ready? Here they are. Let me read the passage one more time. I've, I've numbered them for you. Stand therefore having your loins. That's number one. Loins girt about with truth. So if you're taking notes and you need some room on your page, we got seven of these things coming. I'll have two or three verses for every one. So if you're kind of pacing things out, you'll know how to do these. Number two, the breastplate of Righteousness. Three, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, where you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation. And six, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. <clears throat> Seven, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching. See, that's why I almost... You could probably put an eighth in there. Watching. Thereunto, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. All right, let's go through these. Tool number one. Tool mo- number one is the loins girt about with truth. Okay, let's go back because we are doing a final exam. We are looking at the church of Ephes- at Ephesus, and we're trying to ask what went wrong. And it looks like, to me, they fell into the trap of legalism. I think they had the belt of truth on. Amen? I think they had it down cold. And they knew how to behave, and they knew how to act, and they began acting that way for so long that I think they fell in love with their orthodoxy, and they forgot the God behind their orthodoxy. You know what happens when you become a legalist? You become so used to doing it, all of a sudden you forget what Jesus did for you and you think, hey, my works is getting my salvation. Right? So they're tr- they had truth down. They could out-debate a heretic. They could spot a heretic a mile away. They were good at that. And there's nothing wrong with that. They had that piece of armor on. Okay, let's look at some scripture. What's it talking about here? Exodus 12 and verse 11. What does it mean to be girded with truth? It just means to be prepared. This is talking about the Passover, and this is how they were supposed to eat the Passover. And it says, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. In other words, you are supposed to be ready. You're supposed to be in the truth. You're supposed to be dwelling in the truth. You're supposed to be, when you go to that trial, you've got truth on your fingertips. You've got it on the tip of your tongue. That's a good place. It's not like I think the Bible said something about let me go look that up. No, we we want to be in a place where truth is what we're dwelling. Okay? We want to be ready. 1 Peter 1:13. Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, have truth rolling in your mind. Not current culture. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is um, to be brought unto you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then the last one, First Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. The Lord would have us being bathed in truth. We want to be rolling in this word. So this is our defense. This is our thoughts. This is where our answers come from. I shared an example that <coughs> And I'm embarrassed. i got to go back so many years. When I first became a Christian, there was a woman that got so aggravated at me. She said, every time we talk, all you care about is what the Bible says. And she thought that was a horrible insult. And I said, thank you. <laughs> we, we should be that versed in Scripture. It, it should just ooze out of our pores, okay? But notice how it says, when it oozes out of our pores, with meekness and fear. Not self-righteousness and domination. Right? Okay. So, so I don't think this was the f- church at Ephesus problem. I think they had that thing girded they were They had that belt on. Yes? Okay, so when it came to attacking them... It, 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 we'll get there in a second, but you know what Jesus or what, what Satan tried to do to Jesus in the wilderness when he tried him in Matthew four? That's what he went after. I don't think that's going to work on this group. It might work on a different group, but this group, I don't think that was the tool of choice. Okay, the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness. Okay. Now let's talk about this breastplate for a second. <clears throat> Your breastplate is, is is a great big piece of armor, yes now, now think about it this way let 's suppose i 've got a a breastplate and it 's made out of one solid sheet of iron that 's a pretty good breastplate. but let 's suppose I have one, and my breastplate is made out of mesh. You got mesh with little holes in it, that might stop a sword. But a dart can find a hole, can it? Okay? Well, it's talking about the breastplate of, breast of righteousness. Whose righteousness do you want to be wearing? I'll give you a hint. It's not yours. Okay? If it's yours, it's like that fishnet stockings. It's got holes in it. Yes? I don't want to go into battle with fishnet stockings is my breastplate. I want to go in with a piece of brass or a piece of armor. And there's only one kind of righteousness that and that's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I don't go into battle with my righteousness. I go into his with his righteousness. And that's what I can stand against. Okay? Romans 5 and verse 18 Therefore as by the offense of one came judgment upon all men. That's Adam. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. That is not your righteousness that got you life. It was Jesus Christ's righteousness, and that's what we go into battle. And the Satan says, you're a bum, and you say, yes, I am, but Jesus Christ wasn't, and that's who I'm standing behind. Right? Chapter uh, Philippians 3 and 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that eith, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul was going through life for a period of time, and there was a time where he trusted his commandment keeping. Matter of fact, he thought he was pretty good at it. And he says, I was the Jew among Jews, Hebrew of the Hebrews. He says, I was where it was at. And then all of a sudden he got his mind around coveting and he realized, whoa, there's a big old hole in my armor. So when we put it in our flesh, it's like going into a battle with that fishnet stocking. We don't want that. Darts can get through that. We go through Jesus. It's solid. There's no holes in it. And the last one is 2 Peter 1.1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of of God and our Savior. That is not our righteousness. Amen? Say that breastplate is not your righteousness. Does that mean I can act any way I want? Of course not. But it's not my obedience, what I'm hiding behind when I'm facing the enemy. It's Jesus Christ's obedience. Okay? Number three. Preparation of the gospel. Notice it doesn't say the gospel. It says the preparation of the gospel. Hmm, what do you think that means? Let's look at a couple verses and see if we can flush this out. Romans 10 and verse 15. I'm going to talk to you about about this. This is talking about your footwear. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I forgot a step. Let's go back. We went back to the Church of Ephesus. We, we kind of came to the conclusion that we don't think, we think they had their girdle on, they had their belt on, right? When we go to the breastplate of righteousness, a problem with legalism is sometimes you get to the point where you think it's my righteousness. And I, so, so, so if I'm going back and I'm the doctor, I'm going to say it could be the breastplate. I'm going to run some tests on that thing, okay? That's kind of what we're doing. Now, whether we're looking at us individually or whether we're looking at... This is just this first indication, this first diagnosis, and it could be this. Number three is the preparation. Okay. In other words, did they go into war barefoot? This is what this is asking. Did they go in barefoot? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written, how beautiful are feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of goodness. Were they preparing themselves in the word? You know, the problem is with legalisms. When when you get all set in your ways and your orthodoxy and your manner of speaking and your traditions, you stop looking at it because you think you got it. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Maybe they stop preparing Acts 6, 3 and 4. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among the seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. What was happening is the apostles got to a point and the church was exploding. That's a good problem to have. But as the church was exploding, they were getting thin because they were taking care of some of the widows. And this does not mean they were big shots. It doesn't mean they were better than anyone else. God had delegated to them a certain skill of ministering the word of God. And because of these other duties, the ministry of the word of God was being neglected. And God created an office of deacon so that particular act would not be neglected. That's how important it was. So... Here's the apostles, and the apostles were not spending time on the work. You know what that is? That's preparation. They needed to bathe themselves into it. And then here's one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. This is Ezra 7.10. I love this because when you look at a revival that happened in Nehemiah, a lot of people call it Ezra and Nehemiah. You could almost call this Nehemiah 1 and Nehemiah 2, First Nehemiah, second Nehemiah. What happened was in the book of Ezra, Here's Ezra, he's this lowly scribe and the Lord comes on him and he starts studying his Bible. And he doesn't even have a congregation, he doesn't even have a preaching appointment. The Lord's put it on him and you know what he's doing? He's writing out Bible sermons. Can you imagine coming up to Ezra and his little desk and his little laptop computer and you go, "Hey Ezra, what you doing? I'm getting ready for a sermon." You going to go preach? Yeah, I'm going to go preach. Where are you going to preach? I don't know. But I'm going to preach. And sure enough, when you finally get to Nehemiah 8, that's when it happens. And he's got all his sermons ready. He's prepared. He's prepared. Okay? So let's go back to the church at Ephesus. Do you think this is the problem? Had they stopped preparing? Maybe. I think that's one of the things I'm going to run some more tests on. Might do a blood test and check for um, preparation. Okay? The the people with a metal background are probably laughing at me for the foolishness in my speech, but hopefully you're understanding the the, the metaphor. Okay, number four, the shield of faith. Shields are interesting. Shields are strong. A lot of times when people were a little bit out of money or they had a lack of resources, what they would do is get a couple pieces of metal and they would weld them together a one-piece shield was way stronger than a two- or three-piece shield. It could fold, it could bend, it could because they did a lot of stuff with shields. We want a one-piece shield. Do you want a one-piece shield? What's your faith in? I hope your faith isn't in your faith. I hope your faith is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his finished work. That's a one-piece shield. When you make it, have faith in your faith. That's a two-piece shield. We want to have a one-piece shield. Matthew 10, 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Even if the disease gets your loved one, even if the car wreck gets your loved one, we understand that there's a victory that's greater than this physical body. That's what your faith is in because our faith is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's not in a political party. It's not in an airbag. It's not in a medicine. It's not a new procedure. It's in the finished work of Jesus Christ and his promise that he's coming back to get us. 1 Peter 5 8 and 9 Be sober, be vigilant. There's part of that watching, which. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resisteth steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. In other words, he is scouting you. He's searching you from top to bottom. He's saying, okay, which one did Brother Andrew leave off today? Okay? Or, Or maybe he's searching Dolph, and he says, Dolph's got his breastplate on, but he put it on backwards. Right, or he put on the wrong one. Right, <laughs> it's like my grandsons. They come to me, Grandpa, I put on my cowboy boots. They're on the wrong feet. Yeah, but I put them on. Well, that's okay. We smile at our grandchildren, but sometimes we put our helmet on backwards. Yeah, or upside down. And one more, the shield of faith. First John five four. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory, overcometh the world, even our faith. Our faith is a pretty important tool, and our faith is in the finished work. Our faith is not in the faith, it's in Christ's finished work. Number five, the helmet of salvation. Galatians six, fourteen. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. My salvation is in the Christ. It's not any commandment keeping. It's not any sacraments. It's not any perseverance. It's in one act on the cross that he did for me. It's where he secured it. He didn't lose one. He will not lose one. He paid it all and he'll get back everything he bought. Okay? Like redemption, you go to the hamburger joint. There's two windows, yes? You pay for the hamburger at the second window. You drive forward and you pick up the hamburger at the second window. He's going to redeem the thing he bought. He never takes off and drives home and doesn't forget to get his, second ha- his hamburger after he paid for it. He's going to pick up what he paid for, yes? Okay. Philippians 3.9 nine. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is, of th- which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of glory by faith. It's not my righteousness again. Hebrews ten fourteen, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. The ones God set apart is the one he bought. Okay? By one offering. How am I doing on time? I'm getting close to that 40-minute mark. I better watch out. Sword of the Spirit. I forgot to go back to Ephesus. I'll come back and pick them up. Sword of the Spirit. Jesus used the sword masterfully. When he was in the wilderness, I want to look. I want you to show how they used the sword. I don't think this was a problem for the church at Ephesus. When the heretics came, when the false teachers came, they spot them a mile away. They, they didn't let them mishandle the word of God. They recognized it. They, they were able to quiet them. He put them out every time. Matthew 4, 3 and 4. <clears throat> and when the tempter came to him, this is Satan, came to Jesus after he had fasted for 40 days. If thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written. Now, now, when I look at this sword, I kind of look at, y- y- you look at the other five pieces, right? And what does the sword do? It's like this armor, the helmet, and the breastplate, and the girdle, right? And, and, and the shoes. That's our first line of defense. And it's like the sword is out there swinging in front of it. It's kind of like a second line of defense, and it's blocking anything, and anything that gets through the sword might come here, and then the breastplate will will save us. You know what the third line of defense is? It's the prayer. It's almost like you got three layers. It's not like all seven of them, and they come at you like that. I think it's out in front of you. So you're blocking anything that gets before it, gets, it hits the helmet. And it's blocking anything before it hits the chest or hits the loins. I'm blocking him. I'm deflecting it. That's what Jesus is doing right here. Okay? As it is written, he pulled that sword out of his sheaf, and he went, here's the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Here's the second temptation. Verses 6 and 7. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. In other words, jump from this building. For it is written, so, so, so Satan's getting smart, and he's quoting Scripture. He's saying, okay, this guy wants Scripture. I'll give him Scripture too. Problem is, is he's using it out of context, right? A text out of context is a pretext. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest thou at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto them, it is written... That girl back at the bank, back up in Detroit. All you care about is what the Bible says. What a compliment. That's what Jesus cared about. Now, i got a long way to go. Don't, don't, I'm not getting on my high horse. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And temptation number three, uh, verses 9 and 10. And he saith unto him, all these things shall I give thee, and if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And Jesus saith unto him, get thee hence, Satan For it is written. He's wielding that sword, the word of God. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God only, and him only shall thy serve. Jesus used the sword masterfully. You know what? I don't really think that was the church at Ephesus' problems. I think they got to a place in their legalism that they trusted their knowledge so much that they trusted their righteousness that they stopped preparing. And I'm guessing they probably stopped praying. Because, you know what? Every time I pull a knuckle-headed move with my wife, you can pretty much count on it. We haven't sat down and talked for a long time. When you stop communicating, distance grows. And it's the same with Jesus Christ. When you stop praying, distance grows. So what am I going to check? I'm going to check their breastplate. I'm going to check their shoes, their preparation. And I'm going to check their prayer life. And I know this is silly, but it helps me. When you look at the soldier, he's got the helmet on. He's got the shield. He's got the sword. He's got the breastplate. He's got the girdle. He's got the shoes. What's exposed? The shins. But the shins aren't exposed if you're on your knees, are they? Right? Right? right prayer prayer Paul's first prayer in the book of Ephesians he made his first prayer for this group of saints at Ephesus and he prayed for them this is at the end of chapter 1 I pray for your wisdom I pray for your knowledge I pray that you be enlightened I pray for understanding I pray that you have revelation far above principalities powers darkness and said, and you know what that prayer took but here was his second prayer for this church. He prayed that they'd be strengthened, that they dwell in the Lord, that they dwell in him by faith, they dwell in him by love, that they be filled with God, that the power in us stand against. I think it started falling apart there. I think they got so full of themselves here that they started letting this go. I, and I don't have to say I think, that's what Jesus said. He says, thou hast left thy first love, Right? It was this that started getting soft. That's what happened to them. So, verse eighteen. It, it's like, verily, verily, pray always with all prayer. That's verily, verily, isn't it? With all perseverance for all saints. Um, Paul, what are you trying to take us? Tell us, pray, pray. Okay. Let me wrap up. Here was Jesus' cure. And we as preachers sometimes like to be cutesy and use um, 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 letters. So i got three R's for you. Remember, repent, and repeat. And the verse it says go, do, but that's repeat. Okay? Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. In other words, Ephesians, there was a whole chapter in chapter two about what kind of mess you were. As a matter of fact, it calls you dead. He says, if you get to a point where you're keeping your commandments and you're in your legalism, you forget from whence you came. They needed to go back to the beginning to figure out what kind of mess they were. And what got them out of the mess, it wasn't their commandment keeping, it was the Lord. Repent means turn. It doesn't mean I'm sorry, it means stop. And head in a different direction. Turn. Repent. And then do the first works. Repeat. The stuff you did in the beginning, repeat it and do it again.